0: You've hit play on the screen, Companion. A show about helping you to decide what to watch tonight. Today we're talking about imaginative worlds. Worlds that don't actually exist, except in these movies. Andrew, when you're watching a movie with a made-up world... What sort of details will you dial into that makes it feel real to you? Or what are some things that you instantly look for that if they don't include it, you're like, I don't believe in this crap. This doesn't make sense.
1: Oddly enough, I'd say not calling attention to certain things in a way where it's like, oh, well, in our society, we do this. I really just want to see the day-to-day life if they just do things differently. I'm accepting out the go. But if I can tell that they're injecting a lot of stuff to explain it to the audience as to why things are a certain way, then it starts pulling me out a bit.
0: We have three movies today that flaunt their beautiful made-up worlds. Tron Legacy from 2010, Dread from 2012, Mad Max Fury Road from 2015. A special point in time where a lot of these types of movies were coming out. I don't really feel like anything particularly creative is coming out as far as world building. Andrew, can you think of any examples in the last couple years?
1: Not at the moment. I mean, and the only thing I can think of is that we have that Avatar sequel finally coming out. When did that first movie come out? Like 2008, 2009 or something? Yeah, I was in college when that first one came out. I don't think we're getting new worlds that are being built. I think it's more of things are being expanded on.
0: Well, except for No Way Home, I haven't seen any Marvel-related movie or show since Endgame. From what I've gleaned from looking at some reviews, they don't seem to really be doing a very good job of fleshing out the MCU and how things work. It feels like they're doing it by the seat of their pants. Max, have you watched any of
2: the Marvel stuff lately? No, nothing about it has really drawn me to want to look further into it. Not even She-Hulk? Okay, so She-Hulk, just all the stuff I've seen from um, social media, it's kind of drawn me because it makes me want to see how bad is bad. <laughs> just from, like, critics and all these other comments and reviews. I don't really care for it, honestly.
1: I actually have been watching She-Hulk. My girlfriend's watching it, but she watches it while I'm there. So it's kind of like, oh, alright, like, if she were to watch an episode without me, I wouldn't go
2: back and re-watch it. Did you enjoy the twerking?
1: No, that was awful. You know what sucks is I feel badly for the people who go to art colleges to learn to animate, and then it's like, hey, you have a job at Marvel, we need you to animate She-Hulk's ass as she twerks. (laughs)
0: Let's start with Tron Legacy, which is a Disney property. And back in 2010, I felt better about Disney as a brand. Let me give you guys a little summary of it before we jump in. So, we've got this guy who's searching for his father, who disappeared 20 years ago. This guy's name is Sam Flynn, and while he's searching for his dad, he gets sucked into this computer world, and not only must he rescue his dad, but also stop a nefarious program named Clue, that also looks like his dad, from escaping into our world. And this evil guy's got aims of conquest with a whole army behind him. Andrew, let's start with you. What were your first thoughts once the movie ended?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, So my thoughts uh, when I turned it off were, man, that was putting me to sleep. Oof.
0: Before we go any further, how good would you say your picture and sound quality were when you were watching it?
1: I'd say pretty good. I was streaming it on Disney+. Plus. I have pretty good internet, and I was watching it on a 55-incher.
0: Any uh, speaker setup?
1: Yes. I have two big stereo speakers.
0: And how often during the movie did you feel bored? Once he
1: got into the grid, it started going downhill for me wow yeah there's a lot coming at me i haven't seen the first tron just as the movie kept going i just got sleepier and sleepier and i tried to watch it like this morning too so it was like one of the first things i did i had cheerios so i should have been all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed
0: max this was also
2: your first watch did you have the same reaction as andrew maybe not as harshly i wasn't down on the movie At the same time, it didn't keep me at the edge of my seat. So the world building for me was pretty okay. It's like, alright, I understand what's going on here. I see where they're going with this. The only real lull was after Sam met his actual dad for the first time in this new world. And they were just having this little like, okay, let's catch up for a little bit before I go do something dumb. That was the only real lull. Afterwards, they go back into the city. I'm back to like, alright, I'm a little bit more invested now
1: the movie was losing me a little bit but yeah once olivia wilde came into the picture i'm like "Ooh, like she looks great with the hair and i'm thinking like all right this is picking up and then yeah he meets old jeff bridges and i was kind of like oh god it's so slow
0: on the emotional spectrum If you think about the passion in Mad Max Fury Road among all the characters and the range of emotions they're feeling and the intensity of them, it plays into the color palette too of that movie being very warm. And then you got Tron Legacy, which is the total opposite end of that, where everybody feels a little sleepy and it's all these cool colors. You guys both bring up interesting things that I think the screenwriter should have been more aware of. Andrew mentioned starting to lose it after Sam goes onto the grid. Max mentioned when he reunites with his father, the guy he's been ostensibly searching for for half the movie. Those are two big moments where you don't want the audience to lose interest. Those should be massive moments when he first gets on the grid into the computer. Wow, it should be incredible. And then when he reunites with his dad, there should be so much more emotion there than there is. Were either of you guys like, come on, Jeff, just hug your son more, man.
2: <laughs> the only emotion I had was, oh, I should probably text this to my dad because he asked me about it two weeks ago. That was the strongest emotion I had during that whole moment It's like, oh, right, this. I should tell my dad about this. The movie didn't do
1: itself justice in the way it handled it. He's in the world now. He stumbles out of the arcade. He's in the grid. Okay, the buildings look different, but there is like some sense of majesty that wasn't there. It doesn't feel like a big reveal. And then, same with Jeff Bridges, it's like it just doesn't feel almost like the film was like, hey, this isn't really a big deal. I was really tuning out, and just everything felt rushed when he first gets into the world because he gets captured and it's like, oh, game's for you. And then they dress him up like everyone else, and this just didn't do it for me one good thing that I cannot say enough about the film
0: is that Daft Punk score, absolutely great. Sometimes it feels like without the music, you would just hear tumbleweeds because nothing's really happening on screen. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Later in the picture, there's a moment when they're on that solar sailor craft trying to make it to the exit And they have a bit more of an emotional scene between father and son. It
2: kind of worked for me a little bit. Dad bonding with his son. I can relate to this pretty well. But it didn't have me move to tears or choke me up or anything like that. It was just more of a, huh, I hope I'll be like that someday.
0: From a story standpoint, they wanted part of Jeff Bridges' arc to be. He starts off cold. He's been in this simulation Time moves differently there, so hundreds of years? Who knows?
2: A thousand cycles.
0: So he's more robotic, and then he opens up by the end of the movie, which is nice. You actually see him shed a tear or two. But it doesn't work because it just totally throws cold water on them, reuniting. It takes that moment away from the audience. It cheats them of it. When they meet, they have a couple lines, and then Jeff Bridges just walks away and says, We'll talk later.
2: You know, it's kind of weird. Yeah.
0: Going back to your point, Andrew, about how it wasn't all that amazing when he first gets onto the grid, all the scenes that happen in the real world prior, they pretty much take place at night among the cold, hard surfaces, the shiny surfaces of a city. And then the look of the arcade, it's dusty. You've got points of light. It already looks like the grid. So I wish they had done more stuff in the daytime, maybe outside more, just so you could really juxtapose it with the grid once he goes there. Because when he walks out of the arcade and he's on the grid, he looks up at the Flynn sign. It just looks like what he walked into. The look was very
1: samey-samey. I think that the most interesting, I'll say, set in the film was his shack, garage, warehouse, home had the most color play and just interesting pieces, but I think the director tried to make it so 80s. Let's make things dark with just some neon colors, and it all had to look like that. I think they tried to go too dark, too nighttime 80s retro.
0: And once they are on the grid, it didn't quite strike me as feeling like a real place. Max, you said the world made sense to you. What details about it really spoke to you as far as convincing you it was
2: a place that existed? Straight lines. (laughs) Everything's neat. Everything's in order. Hexagons are also, I guess, another appealing shape. All right, yeah, this is the most efficient shape. Of course, computers are going to use hexagons for everything. Maximum efficiency, maximum perfect world. Everything's got to be great. It definitely fits, and the world itself was a cool look. I just
1: wish there was more to it, or it was just a little bit brighter. Everything was just constantly dark, except for the blues and oranges.
0: I was trying to pay more attention to the place itself, the grid. And I think aesthetically, it really works, being this computer, program, people not 100% sure if it's all electrical impulses or if they physically exist we see them eating at certain points drinking it looks very sleek but then when you ask yourself okay if they're super smart or artificial intelligence or something why do they have a bar and why is there a bum on the side of the street at one point Is there actually an economy going on? And if so, who has jobs? What jobs are there? (laughs) If there's food in this world and drinking, are there bathrooms? It's just got a nice sheen on everything. And then when you really look at it, it's like the darkness in the art design is there to just hide the fact that there's nothing if you shine a light on it. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, I don't want to totally crap on this movie. I do
2: enjoy it, especially
0: the aesthetics. But let's talk about some favorite scenes or performances. I hope you guys have some.
2: Man, that's actually really hard to say cuz there's not much that actually stood out to me. What was actress name Olivia Wilde? Yeah. I found her after she got her arm cut off and she was a bit of a dead fish. I found that performance to be pretty amusing. She did a good job holding her breath the whole time.
0: You found the dead fish act familiar? Oh yeah. <laughs> Andrew, tell me you had some favorite scenes. I will admit when they
1: did the actual bike game scene before Olivia Wilde ruins it and steals the main character, that was cool because I'm like, ooh, this is what it's all about, you know, with the bikes and the crashing. It made me wonder what it looks like in the original.
2: Max, have you seen the first Tron? No, I was going to ask, actually, how pivotal is that bike scene in the first movie anyways? It's a big moment.
0: It's one of the set pieces of that movie and something people remember from it. Even if you totally love Tron Legacy, unless you want to do a history exercise, I wouldn't bother with the first one. It plods. If you think this one is boring, that one gets worse. Moving on from Tron Legacy, not only chronologically are we going, but also, I feel like as far as quality goes, we're stepping up our game here. Andrew's pick was Dredd.
1: So Dredd is a judge, where in his world he's a lawman who can also pass down sentences and kill people if he needs to. He and his trainee Anderson were tasked with raiding a building to take down the drug lord Mama, and that's about it. It's essentially just the raid redemption remade with a Judge Dredd skin.
0: Andrew, have you seen the Stallone picture?
1: I have not, but I've seen clips of it. So I know that Rob Schneider is in it, and I know Sylvester Stallone takes his helmet off.
2: I saw, like, maybe the first 20 minutes of it, and I was like, no, this is kind of bad. This is not the Judge Dredd that I imagined.
0: I would recommend it to you, Andrew. I think you would have a good time with it, assuming you're not heavily invested in the Dredd character.
1: I'm not. I can appreciate... A so-bad-it's-good movie.
0: Did you like Demolition Man?
1: I thought Demolition Man was pretty interesting. It wasn't good, but it was interesting.
0: I think you'll say the same thing about Judge Dredd. Okay. But coming back to Carl Urban, who I believe is New Zealand extraction?
1: Yeah, I think he's from New Zealand. Plays Billy Butcher on the boys and Dr. McCoy in the new Star Trek.
0: He's no stranger to science fiction. What do you think of his performance in this, Andrew?
1: I thought it was pretty great. He had that frown. You need that Judge Dredd frown, and he had it down pat.
0: With him never taking that helmet off, he's really working that frown a good 90% of the movie.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. I definitely felt some intimidation every time I saw him on screen. I was like, oh, oh yeah, this guy, he means business. Just do what he says and don't even look him in his helmet. Eyes on the floor. And what aspects
0: of this portrayal of a possible future
2: worked or didn't work for you? The junk vehicles. The fact that it's a post-nuclear apocalyptic world where we're basically running on scrap. Of course you're going to see an air-cooled Volkswagen running down the street. Those things don't die. And also, we're all living in really tall towers because we can't expand horizontally. We have to expand vertically. All right, I can see that making sense.
0: When they show the Mega City one at the beginning of the movie, except for the buildings being super huge and the smog being a little thicker, I thought I was looking at Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, the chase scene near the beginning of the movie, like, it looks like L.A., And maybe it's a bit of a cop-out, but I feel like they didn't go too over the top with the whole post-apocalyptic. It still looks very familiar in a way. Really run down. The shopping mall where Judge Dredd saves that lady after he shoots someone in the mouth with a hot shot bullet. It looks just like our malls, really. Sure, there's the differences here and there. The fake stores, like the hottie dogs or whatever they were called, stuff like that it has that familiar look where it's just like, oh yeah, something bad happened and we haven't made too many advancements since, except just upwards.
0: Speaking of Hottie Dog, did you guys notice the advertisements in World are just about all aggressive?
1: Yeah, yeah, everything's angry.
0: <laughs> There's specifically an image of the Hottie Dog mascot And he has a word balloon and he's sneering and he's saying something like, Over there, punk, pointing to the shop location. (laughs) (laughs) Something I noticed with all three of these movies, it's one of the things that helps them have a commonality as far as I think the success of their visuals and the presentation They all have strong color palettes, and I feel like Dread has a very sickly green-yellow palette going on, so it always looks icky just about every scene. Was there anything presented about the world that seemed false to you guys?
1: I think the main thing that maybe it's meant to be unsettling is it does look like slow-mo fun.
0: Well, it makes everything look brighter. Yeah. You're in The Wizard of Oz, and... Absolutely, I could see why you wouldn't want to look at gray concrete all day.
1: So it's kind of like, oh man, you know, the drugs in the future look
0: great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Except the very end, that was awful.
2: And the fact that it rots your teeth out. Yeah. Coldburn, that's one thing he mentioned. Which timeline are we more likely to get at this point? Are we going to get the Dread timeline where we're getting megastructures? Or are we going to get the RoboCop timeline where crime is just way up and the police are still pretty useless? I think we're heading towards RoboCop. I feel like in RoboCop, at least the cops are kind of trying to keep peace while in Dread. It's straight up, oh, you committed a crime. Pow, pow. Let's call in the crew to come here and pick up these meat bags.
0: There isn't a lot of value in life in either of those movies.
2: Don't they get recycled? The dead bodies into, like, food or something?
0: Yeah, in this one. Andrew, what were your favorite scenes in this?
1: I really liked a lot of the action sequences. The one shootout where it wasn't really so much a shootout where it was just dread killing people who were on slow-mo, where you see the bullets go through them really slowly. I thought that was interesting. When Anderson reads that one dirty judge's mind and then just shoots her. (laughs) That was pretty great. I think one of the strengths of the movie is it doesn't have, you know, like Tron Legacy had all these different kind of heavy themes they were trying to do. And then with this one, it's just like, hey, a lot of people are going to get shot and killed. It's a gore fest. Enjoy yourself.
0: I found pretty much any scene between Anderson and Dredd, their dynamic was really watchable. All good on-screen duos that complemented each other. Anderson was reluctant and inexperienced, and that bounced off really well against Dred's gruffness and self-assuredness because he'd been on the job so much longer. Luckily, she's not wearing her helmet, because if they were both wearing their helmet the whole movie, I wouldn't have had as much fun.
1: It would have been a little weirder with her frown. I don't know if she could pull that off as well.
0: They give a reason why she doesn't wear a helmet, because it upsets her psychic abilities but maybe they threw that line in there just because they wanted a reason for her not to have a helmet on like him. That wonderful bleached blonde hair of hers.
1: I'm not 100% sure, but I think that might be a character trait in the comic for Judge Anderson. It does help that she's a cutie patootie, though.
0: (laughs) Andrew, do you have any criticisms for this?
1: My only criticism would be You can tell how much of the special effects was meant to make it 3D. I think all three of our movies that we picked were also meant for the 3D theatrical releases.
0: They did all have 3D releases, but to the extent that the directors shot them with 3D in mind... Because, you know, a lot of movies, especially the late 2000s, early 2010s, they're just doing that to throw a premium on some tickets. So not every director was trying to shoot for 3D. Dread, I think, definitely was shooting for that in mind. Literally. You could
1: definitely tell. Just like how I like that one scene where he's shooting the guys on slow-mo. When the bullet goes through that guy's face, it's 100% for the 3D effect. It can take you out of things here and there just because then you're just wondering, like, why is there so much floating debris all the time? And then you remember as a home viewer, oh, that's right. It's supposed to be 3D.
0: Did you guys watch any of these movies in 3D?
1: No. Maybe. I don't remember if I saw Mad Max in theaters 3D.
0: I don't like 3D. However, I do remember seeing Dread in 3D. And I liked it. It worked, especially those moments on slow-mo. It just looked very nice with all the sparkles. I think overall it's very successful in what it tries to do. The one thing that I can think of is, as much as I like Carl Urban's dread, I guess it doesn't bother me too much that he never takes the helmet off. It is very in line with the character from the book. But I wish there were just a few more scenes with him, maybe at the beginning to flesh out the character more instead of being such an archetype. Maybe more scenes between him and the residents of Trees. He's the rock that holds the movie together, but he's also as smooth and featureless as a rock beyond the two or three big character traits we have. I would have liked to have seen how his black and white outlook on dispensing justice, how does that really function on a day-to-day basis? He can't be very popular with his peers.
2: did we kind of get a glimpse of that when he saw that vagrant hobo on the side? He was like, hey, man, we got bigger fish to fry right now. You better not be here when we get back.
0: It's delivered in that typical dread fashion where you don't know if he really wants to give the guy a break or if it really is just, I don't have time right now. You're lucky I don't have time right now.
1: I 100% think he was going to arrest that vagrant if he didn't have bigger things to do.
0: Certainly when they're about to leave Peach Trees, it is his intention to arrest him, isn't it? Yeah, It was. Considering justice is a big theme in this movie, I would like to have known what the punishment actually is when they say sending them to ISO cubes. What is an ISO cube? What do they mean? I don't know, but I don't want it. <laughs> It would be a lot of fun if it turned out to be like an episode of Deep Space Nine where they send you into a virtual place to serve your sentence and then you wake up a day later but you've lived 10 years in a virtual prison cell. I don't even know what it is. Maybe it's a little light slap on the wrist. That would be kind of funny. I'm
1: imagining it's kind of like the negative zone in Superman.
2: Oh, that would fit Dred's version of Justice. So did you guys ever see Rick and Morty? Any of the seasons? Nah, I don't watch it. No, I have very little experience. The way one of the seasons ended, Rick gets arrested and he gets put into whatever, it's like supermax jail for like intergalactic species. It's literally a wall with a bunch of criminals in little like cubes, essentially. That's why I think an cube is. It's literally a cube big enough to house you and you just slot it in place into a wall with a bunch of other criminals and you just kind of hang out and do nothing.
0: That would make sense with how much space is a premium in that world. Rounding out the night with your pick might be a little bit of narcissism here. Mad Max Fury Road. So Max, please summarize. Max.
2: (laughs) So it's about a guy called Max who gets captured and turned into a live blood back to help some other people in this big old complex. And the guy running the complex is like, hey... I need people to go out for a grocery run, essentially. (laughs) Go deliver these groceries, go bring back some stuff, and we're awesome. This chick called Furiosa takes essentially the family car out to do this trip, but instead she turns it into a freedom ride, trying to get some concubines out. That joyriding bitch. The real story is about a father trying to get his daughter to come back home with the help of his eccentric friends. One guy who seems to have a fetish with his nipples... That was really weird, actually, in the movie. Yeah, you saw him tweaking them, right? Yeah. Yeah, you did. And his buddy, who's just, like, overly obsessed with guns. I guess it makes sense because the dad himself is really into the army stuff. So I guess they all do get along pretty well. Fiorosa makes her rerun road trip, decides, hey, this might be a mistake, and just heads back to try and make amends with her dad, and then going back home insane. Hey, guys, I'm back with the idea of freedom. Interesting cell,
0: interesting cell. I wish you were in the room with the executives when George Miller was trying to convince them to make this movie. George, what's this about? Well, you know, it's about a lady who goes on a milk run and she decides not to come home on time. Well, Andrew, not that Max didn't do a superior job of summarizing this, but are there any details you might fill in that maybe he left out?
1: The people that is smuggling out are the big bad guys' wives-slash-breeding vessels, essentially. Probably the big one is just the cargo is very important. Freedom run.
0: Yeah. And it's post-apocalyptic Australia. Very sandy.
1: Lots of desert.
0: And Max, being our resident gearhead, is there anything you want to mention about the vehicles, as they are a major part of this film?
2: They are very well and creatively put together. Like, I'm seeing cars stacked on top of cars to make them just bigger and stronger and heavier. Not sure if that actually works well in a desert environment because you might just sink down. The fact that they can take so much punishment, that's pretty cool. How long does this movie take place? 20 years after a nuclear war or something like that?
0: I don't know. The timeline of these Mad Max movies is all over the place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The very first one, I don't remember being a whole lot of desert. But
2: Road Warrior, I remember being a lot of desert. I haven't seen Thunderdome. I remember there was some semblance of civilization in the first movie. They actually had police force. They had normal homes. They had roving bandits still, but there was some semblance of society. Things were still pretty okay. By the next movie, everything had already fallen apart. Every man for himself. And that just continues on to this movie, too.
0: What did you think of Tom Hardy as Max in this movie?
2: In terms of character, this Max seems like he's a bit more broken. While the original Mad Max was a guy who was falling apart, this is a Mad Max that had just finished trying to put himself back together after really falling apart.
0: Andrew, you sound like you have some experience with previous Mad Max. Would you say Fury Road is the best Mad Max movie?
1: You know, it's been so long since I've seen Road Warrior, but I do know that I didn't really think the first one was too much of the bee's knees when I finally did watch it, but Road Warrior was really good. Fury Road's also so good. It's a huge Hollywood spectacle-type film. That's the thing I really loved about it. It seems like there's a lot more imagination in Fury Road than there is Road Warrior.
0: And the way the world is presented in this, what was your favorite detail?
1: It really is all the different cars and just how wild they get. I mean, why do they need a car with a bunch of drummers and a guy with all these amps and a guitar that shoots flames? (laughs) Over the top, like they just dialed everything to 11 because they could. And I think that really worked in its favor.
0: Well, that's where we have to differentiate between details that sell the world Versus details that are just really fun and interesting to watch. And I think this movie has plenty of the latter. But as to the former, Max, can you give me any of your favorite details?
2: Maybe just the distinct style between the different groups and tribes. Like, the War Boys. They all look very similar. They're all obsessed with cars to the point that it's part of the language. Are you a black thumb? Is somebody who's, like, good with cars? I forgot they called the Doctor organic i think or something like that somebody who was pretty okay with people when you hear it you think to yourself okay yeah that makes sense that guy's obsessed with spikes that other guy's obsessed with bullets
0: are there any details that make the world itself feel false
1: yeah you know with the desert wasteland element the drums and the guitar like that just doesn't make any sense there's a lot of extras it just seems like in morton joe's society he has so much excess but like where did he get it from where did all this come from and why
0: who carved a giant skull on the side of a mountain
1: yeah i don't know how long this is supposed to be after the apocalypse it almost seems like stuff that he's been working on since before the apocalypse happened it's like oh now it makes sense guys everyone's been nuked and so it works out well for him you are right where it's like there are a lot of these stylish things that don't necessarily make practical sense which can kind of pull you out a little bit but it's just so cool to see on the screen
0: were there any details that stuck in your craw max
2: so i try to watch all these movies subtitles one detail stuck to me was that they're not all australians one of the tribes is actually a group of russians in australia
0: what details max Felt really realistic and specific to the world building.
2: Cobbling together everything, combining two engines into the war rig. That seems like something that somebody would do. Literally, people who just have access to all these leftover half pieces of cars are like, I want to build something that's going to be super sturdy. Because I know people do that in this world right now. And not just for fun, but because they're like, I want to use two engines because I can't get one big one. This will work.
0: The technology and the mechanics of it all felt very feasible, huh?
2: Very feasible. I've seen enough dumb things online to know society will find a way to get this done.
0: Man, Max, I would love to throw you into the Australian Outback with some junk and see what you could make.
2: I have a story about that. Go for it, buddy! Oh my god, okay, so there's this guy who was going through, I think, some part of Africa... He started off with some kind of European car, like a little Clio or something. It broke down, but he was able to hack it up and cobble it together into a motorcycle to ride it the rest of the way out of the desert and back into civilization. All he had to do it with was, like, belts and a hacksaw.
0: Andrew, do you have any favorite scenes or performances?
2: is great, of course.
1: Nux was great. He was just shiny and chrome off to Valhalla. He was a great guy.
0: Really good character arc, too.
1: I think Nux, he stole the show whenever he was on there. And the war boys in general, the whole witness me before he, like, jumps into the car with those exploding spears. A lot of cool, just sick stunts in this movie.
0: Max, anything stand out
2: to you for favorite performances or scenes? It's always a hard question to answer.
0: And yet I ask it all the time.
2: Yeah, yeah, you'd think I'd have something ready in the back of my mind. Because I assume you like this movie. No, yeah, I definitely did. One of my biggest draw points is, yeah, always the vehicle combat scenes. That's always fun to watch.
0: How about Favorite Explosion? (laughs) (laughs) I can think of one. Can you think
2: of one? God, I... Okay, I can tell you the one I didn't care for. Ooh, okay. The very last one where you see the steering wheel... Fly into the screen because that reminded me as I was watching it. This was meant for the 3D experience. I hated that so much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was a little bit too much style, George. You did plenty of stylish stuff already. You don't need to do it that way. Mm -hmm. Well, I can think of that explosion in the second half of the movie during that protracted chase sequence going back to the Citadel. There's this. Bird's eye view, Max is up on the top of a polecat or maybe uh, on the top of the war rig. When that massive explosion happens behind him, the biggest explosion in the entire movie, and how it starts with a few big balls of fire and then just grows into a giant conflagration, that was nice to have the surround sound for. Andrew, what are your criticisms for this movie?
1: I guess the biggest one would be this is a movie that it really is almost one very long action sequence. So if you're looking for a movie with multiple breathers, you're not going to get it. One breather in the entire movie. Other than that, you're white knuckling it the whole time. It can be, I don't want to say too high energy because I do think that it worked in this movie's favor. Like, it was still really cool. But it is one of those things where it's like, you might be a little like, by the end of it was just everything that's going on.
0: Even though there are a lot of car stunt sequences, it escalates as the movie progresses.
1: It doesn't stay constant. The stakes are going up. I think that's a big reason why it's not a heavy criticism, because as long as the stakes are rising, you won't get tired of the action. So it does keep you on the edge of your seat. but. A whole movie at the edge of your seat that's a little uncomfortable.
2: I was going to touch on too many elements for like 3D movies. There was another criticism I actually had about the movie. All the bad guys were basically men. Oh no. In Dread, we had Mama, who was like the main villain. In Fury Road, why couldn't there have been a female villain as well? Because it seems to me like all the women are victims. Could we have had one that was maybe... Instead of the weird tweaky nipple guy, be a woman who's, like, really into torture.
0: <laughs> huh, isn't that a coincidence that Max wants the female representation on the villain's side to be the character that touches his exposed nipples?
2: Well, I mean, if that were to happen in the film, I wouldn't be against that. I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> I definitely recall when this movie first came out. There was a big uproar. You can never tell how much of a real uproar there was because the media will always sensationalize everything about it. But there was a segment of the audience that didn't like Max being sidelined in his own movie. I think there is a strong theme to it. I don't know if it's anti-male necessarily. It's just more about the brutality of the world that they're living in. And how it's found itself depicted is, with the women in this world, getting the short end of the stick constantly. The big thing that makes it work for me, or saves it, is that luckily Furiosa does end up having a very strong partnership with Max. So if Max wasn't as capable as he was, and as heroic a figure as he ended up being, without that to balance out all the other rest of the terrible dudes in this movie, i might have said it was more man-hating
1: i do remember all that it was a controversy before the movie was even released about how it was just this feminist propaganda i also remember reading about max's and even the main character in his own movie he doesn't do anything he's a victim the whole time in his own film he's not really sidelined might be a bit of a strong word he does have a say in what's going on especially near the end of the film and he does do heroic stuff i felt like it was overblown i can see where max is coming from of course like maybe if you just had some of the cronies as women it makes it more balanced out but they're the war boys i don't know if that was an intentional thing where the director said hey i want all the women in this movie to be noble victims it is what it is and i think that It definitely set a tone for the movie, whether you might think it's bad or good. I feel like it made every female character matter because none of them were really background characters. So I think that's the strength of how they portrayed it.
0: As far as the world building goes, I can accept this all evil male force being what it is because women are so downtrodden in this future. But then you look at Furiosa, she starts the movie as a trusted lieutenant. They're not entirely anti-female, then, if she can reach that position. It wants its cake and wants to eat it, too. It's like, okay, this very oppressive, male-dominated society. But guess what? Our main character, she's really capable. She's driving a war rig. She has her own posse, for God's sakes, the very beginning. That doesn't quite jive for me, Mr. Miller, but I think it feeds back into the overall idea of whatever helps the story in the moment, you're not really supposed to look too deeply into the details because then the world falls apart.
2: It was just one thing that really stuck out to me because I know society will look at it like that. This is unfortunate, but okay.
0: I really like Furiosa. I think Bad Max gets some nice moments. But it does bug me that it's Mad Max Fury Road. Furiosa's the meal, she's the steak, and Max is the gravy. She's the main thing of this movie, and I believe they're making a prequel movie about Furiosa. We know where George Miller's heart was with this. He just used Max to get the movie made. This should have been called Furiosa. Just make this Furiosa movie. The franchise is supposed to be Mad Max. But then, if you look at the story, he's just bookending it, and the meat and potatoes of it is Charlie Theron. So a little bit of uh, false advertising there. And now, rat random ass nine thoughts and trivia.
2: Tron Legacy. When Sam is getting his clothing cut off, they didn't cut off his underwear. That broke the immersion for me. <laughs> He has a point.
1: Why wouldn't they take his underwear off?
0: Man, now I hate the movie, Max. How could you? (laughs) New segment, guys. I'm calling this one The Weakest Company. I'm going to give you some subjects, and I want you to respond with which movie you think fits the bill. Let us begin. Weakest story. Tron. 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 Weakest acting. Tron. Tron. Dread. Weakest action. Tron. <laughs> yeah, Tron. Tron. Weakest ending. Tron. Tron. And Tron. <laughs> and now, my favorite segment to finish this episode with TLDL. Too long, didn't listen. I'm going to ask you guys questions, give me some nice short answers. Max, if you're doing a triple feature
2: of these movies, what order would you show them in? I'd go Dread, Fury Road, Tron. And did you pick
0: Tron for the end because it's a good movie to go to sleep by?
2: Or for people to leave if they have to.
0: (laughs) Andrew, which movie is best watched on a date? Fury Road. Max, which movie do you sit and watch with your 17-year-old? Fury Road. Max, again. Is Tron Legacy closest to being a video game adaptation, a music video, art show, or Saturday morning cartoon? Video game. Andrew, which movie had the best villain? Uh... I'm going to honestly go with Fury Road. And again, Andrew, on a purely aesthetic level, which movie looked the best? Fury Road. Max, whose story were you more engaged with? Sam looking for his father, Anderson's field exam, or Furiosa looking for the green place? Anderson. Andrew, if someone will only see two of these flicks and the third they'll check out as individual clips on YouTube, which movie would be the best highlight reel view?
1: That's a tough one because,
0: hmm. I'm not known for my easy questions. I
1: guess I'd tell them to watch the highlight reel of Tron, because I think that Dread and Fury Road are worth the full views. But they would make excellent highlight reels in general.
0: And finally, Max, what's dumber? Clue taking 20 years to lure someone to the arcade, and that person getting sucked into the computer world only by accidentally discovering a secret basement lab? The medic at Peach Trees stepping out of his secure clinic long enough for a crooked judge to kill him? Or the amount of water the Outbackers wasted in multiple scenes?
2: God, I'm going to go with Clue on this one.
0: Well, any final words from you guys on our three movies tonight? My final
1: word would be Fury Road and Dread are really great adrenaline rush type movies. Tron's slower, so be prepared if you sit down to watch it.
2: I know we pooped a lot on Tron. It's not a bad movie, but it's not really something you should go after to watch as a must.